Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says this, Therefore, um, since, we've gone, uh, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And with that, we're just going to jump in with both feet. Our lesson today, as you may have figured out from the first verse there, is that Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better high priest. And that's the theme that's really introduced here that you're going to see throughout the rest of the book, that Jesus is a better high priest. And you need to remember uh, who, who the author is writing to. He's writing uh, to, to this group of Christians, okay? And they are Christians, but they never saw Christ. They, be, they became Christians through the preaching of somebody that, that followed Jesus, but they never themselves saw Jesus personally. You remember, um, they, they used to be Jews. They're, they're converts from Judaism. And so they're so familiar um, with this system of sacrifices. They're so familiar with Judaism and, and the role of the high priest specifically. And, 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 and in that culture, that high priest is exalted to a very lofty status, to a very lofty status. And so our author here is saying, okay, listen, The high priest is a good dude. He really is. He's a good guy. But let me tell you, Jesus is better than that. And he's going to explain to us why. And so and he's going to do that over over the next several chapters. But this morning, I just want to focus on these three verses. I want to give you four reasons why Jesus is a better high priest. Here's the first. Number one, because Jesus is our heavenly high priest. Jesus is our our heavenly high priest. And again, we're just going to read the text as it appears and kind of play it as it lies here. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. It says Jesus has gone through the heavens. Now, understand this, right? Aaron, the original high priest. That's where it starts. Remember Moses, brother Aaron. So Aaron, original high priest. That's where it begins. Now, after Aaron, many other high priests were elected. They were chosen by God, elected by the people, and uh, they served in this role of high priest. But get this, Aaron and every other high priest that ever existed, that was ever elected, they all served in an earthly tabernacle. They all served in an earthly sanctuary, one that, according to the word of God, is a copy or a shadow, Hebrews 8, 5, of the one that exists in heaven. So they, they, they all operated in, in an earthly tabernacle. Now, these high priests, uh, their primary duty, and they had other duties, but their primary duty was, was one day a year. It was Yom Kippur, right? If you have Jewish friends, you know they celebrate Yom Kippur to this day. It's kind of a big deal. It's a celebration. But Yom Kippur was, was literally the Day of Atonement, right? And on that one day, uh, the Day of Atonement, this high priest would bring, he'd make this, this great offering, and he would bring the blood of, 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 of bulls and, and goats. He'd bring this blood into the tabernacle. And, and, and he would go in, into the most holy place, into the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. And there on, on the mercy seat, he would sprinkle the blood. Now, why is he doing that, right? He's doing that so that the people might receive mercy from God. Their sins might be atoned for. This is the seed of mercy, okay? And, and so he would do this. Now, that blood represents all the sins of the people of Israel. And so on the Day of Atonement, it was the high priest's job to do that. And, and every high priest, Aaron, every high priest elected, they did this in this earthly tabernacle, this copy, this shadow of the true tabernacle in heaven, um, But get this, 
as high and exalted as they were, before they could do any of that stuff, do you know what they had to do first? They had to make an offering for themselves. Did you know that? There's this whole ritual they had to do as far as cleansing, but then they had to make an offering for themselves. you know why? Because the high priests were sinners. And the sinners had to make an offering for themselves, and then they had to go minister in an earthly copy, a shadow of the true tabernacle. And then once that they did that, once they did their ministry and they sprinkled the blood, you know what they did? They got out as soon as they could. They had to get out as soon as they could because they were afraid that they, they might die there, right? Now, now that, that, that's, that's, that's where we were. That's, that's where we were. That's the primary, uh, the primary role there. But look at Jesus, verse 14. It, it says, therefore, since we have a, a great high priest who has gone through the, the heavens. You see, Jesus is so much better than that earthly role. It, it, it doesn't say that he's the high priest. Did you catch his title? It says, since we have a great high priest. That's actually his title. His title is not high priest. His, his title is great high priest. Because after all, he didn't enter an earthly copy. Uh, verse 14 says he went through the real deal up in heaven and he didn't bring the blood of bulls and, and, and of goats, but he enters the most perfect tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, where he offers his own blood as a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. He makes atonement and we find grace and mercy there. So he says, well, what makes Jesus great? You should ask yourself that as a Christian, by the way. If you can't answer that question, something is really messed up with your faith. What makes Jesus great? Well, I'll tell you. To the sinner, what makes him great is the fact that he's Savior. Amen? And, and, and he is Savior because he is the great high priest who doesn't go into an earthly tabernacle and do something that has to be repeated over and over and over and over. See, we kind of preach that way, don't we? Have you ever felt that way in Christianity that somehow you had to go back and pray the prayer over and over and over? You had to read your Bible better and better or pray a certain way. A certain, we we kind of still preach old covenant Christian living, don't we? But no, Jesus is the great high high priest who enters the heavenly tabernacle and made a once and for all it is finished and done sacrifice for sins and then he sat down and then he sat down it's finished right and so our great high priest he enters the perfect tabernacle makes a once and for all sacrifice for sinners he is great because he is savior and he is savior because he's the heavenly high priest once and for all once and for all makes atonement for our sins that we might be reconciled to God, okay? So that's the first reason he's better, because he's the heavenly high priest. Woo, good stuff. Amen, sermon's done, okay? Not really. You're not getting into cowboys that quick. Okay, number two. Now, I'm, I'm aware. I know what's coming, okay? Number two, listen, I'm just going to tell you, cowboys fans, you should probably stay in church as long as possible. I, I'm just The longer we're here, the better the odds is all I'm saying, right? So number number two, so don't worry about the clock. You keep praying. All right, number two, uh, Jesus is better because he's our earthly high priest. Not just our heavenly high priest, he's our earthly high priest. Now, some of you, are, your, your brain's firing on all synapses right here, and you're going, wait a second, you just made all that point. You took like eight minutes to tell me that he was the heavenly high priest, and that he's better because he ministers in heaven, not on earth. And now you want to go back and say he ministers on earth. Yes. Why do you want it? What's up with that? Well, here's what's up with that. Ready? Verse 15 is what's up with that. Ready? And this is what verse 15 says. It says, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. So so here's the deal. 
from Israel until current day. Here's the struggle in many churches. And in many churches, it is a very real struggle. In a very real sense, there's often a separation between the priest and the people. See, in Israel, that high priest, that guy was separate from the people. He was holy. He was the only one that got God, right? Everybody else had to rely on him to get God. Like he was it. He, he was totally separate. And, and, and that kind of thing, that kind of old covenant deal, his, his inked and, 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 and flowed its way over into so much of Christendom. And, and so what we actually found, even when they built, if you ever study church history, they would build these churches. And a lot of them we find in Europe. They would build these churches, and even in church architecture, I want to see. I want you to see what they would do. This is how it would end up. See that that thing there? That's called a rude screen or a rude wall. Not R U D E, but R O O D. It's a rude screen. Although I think it's probably it's pretty R U D E too. Um, and what would happen? Okay, because of this thought of separation, because the priest is separate from the people, because the priest is better than the people, because the priest has a relationship that the people cannot. That the priest would stand behind the rude screen. And behind the root screen, he would minister. And, and, and the people, see, like you guys are sitting in the pews, but the man of God, the great priest, is behind the screen. And he's, he's, not, he's not actually with the people. Get this. And then not only were they separated by a screen, but then he would get up and he would perform a service in a language which they did not understand. And that was church. Welcome. How was your worship service? You got to come in and hear some guy read a language that you didn't understand and stand separated from you. And I just wonder, how on earth could you go through that and feel close to God? How on earth could you go through that and identify with the person that was leading you in the ways of the Lord? There was separation between priests and people. That went on in the Old Testament as well. Just imagine being in that worship service, if you will. Just imagine how full would you be when it was all said and done? How could you as a worshiper ever relate to that kind of priest? And you think about that, and then you look at Jesus. You think about that, and then you look at verse 15. You look, you look at Jesus. You look at Emmanuel, right, who is God with us, who, who, who comes and goes to parties. And when he's at parties, he doesn't just go to the party. Then he turns the water into wine at the parties, right? And, and, and this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who eats with outcasts and tax collectors, who loves on lepers, who stays with poor people, who has compassion on crowds, and makes the Sabbath into a day of true healing. You look at Jesus and you see this great difference. You look at Jesus and you see God doing life with us. God, Emmanuel, with us, with broken and hurting people. This is our Savior. This is love, right? That God has come to be with us, not separate from us. And that's why Jesus is a better high priest. Because he came to show us the heart of God. Listen, I love you. There is nothing special about me at all. None. Other than the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, I am a ruin and a wreck. We're the same. We're the same. There's no separation. Jesus came to make sure that that was the case. In Christ, we are all priests, the Bible says. Because of Christ, we all have access to God. There is no more screen. Amen? It's a better earthly high priest that says one other thing here i I, I want to tell you some people don't believe he's he's earthly some of you 
you, you think you believe he's earthly, but you don't really believe he's earthly because you read verse 15 and it says this. It says this. It says, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he is without sin. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus wasn't really tempted in every way that we are. I mean, come on. The Internet wasn't around then. It's not like Jesus was tempted with pornography or he was tempted. We, we kind of think, we're like, yeah, Jesus was, was man in the flesh. We get that. But it's not like he was really tempted the way that we are. Not in every way. We still think there's some separation. So I want to explain it to you just briefly, okay? So we know this. The devil is real. He's a fallen angel. He's not some kind of spiritual being that can be everywhere at one time. He's limited by time and space. He'll only be in one place at one time, okay? Which means typically that when you're tempted, it probably wasn't the devil. Because I'm pretty sure he's working on Billy Graham, right? I mean, I mean, like you got to think of the really expert. Like, I'm not Billy Graham. I know it's not the devil himself. It's probably one of his minions named Bo. Um, and, and whatever, or, or Billy Bob. And so Billy Bob, the fallen demon or whatever, he's way down on the list. And he's like, yeah, that guy, you don't really have to worry about him, but we'll tempt him a little bit. So, so here's the deal. So we, we, if you, you think of it like a pressure cooker, right? And so we, we live in the world and we want to follow Jesus and we're trying. And, and so then the pressure and the temptation comes and it begins to rise, right? But here's the deal. We usually break seals somewhere around here, don't we? So we're like, oh, oh man, I'm so tempted. I'm so tempted. Okay, I'll go do it this one time, right? I just, just this one time. And so we, 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 we break on a regular basis and we can break with our eyes or we can break with, with our thought life, you know, just all of a sudden, oh, Oh my gosh, I want to judge that person. I want to judge that person. I want to judge. I am going to judge that person, by golly. And it just, it happens, man. It happens on a regular basis. You know, we do a great ministry here as a food pantry. It's so difficult. Every once in a while you go and you get the groceries and you're walking them out. And man, you're praying over these people and your heart's broken for these people. And all of a sudden you walk out into like a Lexus. You're like, man, Lexus, did it have to be a Lexus? My car is 2004, right? And I start to judge, and I broke it right there. That pressure came, and I sinned. It was right there. It was right there. Now, follow me, though. Here's the cool thing. Listen, Jesus, greater pressure. We know he was tempted by the devil himself. And he was tempted for 40 days. People always say, well, the devil only tempted him three times. Right? I mean, that's what Scripture said. Three times he had to quote Scripture. Forty days! He wasn't just tempted three times, folks. Okay? Get with the program. Forty days, the devil himself is pouring in against him. And here's the great news about Jesus. As the pressure rises and he faces temptation greater than anything you will ever have to face, he stays true. And he stays true. And he stays true. He stays true. And the Bible says he faced even greater temptation than you and I will ever face, yet he was without sin. What does that mean? That means I can run to him, right? I get to run to him when I'm faced with with struggle. That's the point of the verse. Run to him, right? What do you do if your marriage is struggling? You know what you do? You go find somebody that's been married 65 years. And then you and your little struggling marriage, and you go to the 65-year people, and you go, how do you make it work? And they say it's a word called commitment. You make a promise and you keep your word. Oh, it's that, you know what else is important? That you actually like each other. So you've got to spend time together, not on the TV and not on your cell phone. And you actually have to talk and know one another and do what the other people like. And you go, oh, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. You start kind of writing down all, so you look at what you're doing and what they're doing. And they're doing is working at 65 years. You go, maybe I should do some of that, right? What do you do if you're struggling with finances? You find somebody that's really successful with finances. It's not difficult. Find a Christian friend that is doing well. And you say, what are you doing? And they lay out, here's what I'm doing. And you show them, well, this is 
is what I'm doing. And you start looking at the things, you go, whoa, you are doing a lot of things that I am not doing. Like a budget. Whoa, what's that? You begin to look at these things. So we, we look. So here, here's what I'm saying to you. Jesus is a better high priest because he's our earthly high priest, too. He did this life better than anyone. So we get to come to him. That's good news. Number three, Jesus is a better high priest because he is our royal high priest. He's our royal high priest. Verse 16, again, we're just taking the text as it lies. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the throne. You got, you got, you got to see it. Let's approach the throne. So, so what kind of high priest do we have? Do we just have an earthly high priest? Absolutely not. Our high priest ministering in heaven doesn't have to do it every once in a while. Doesn't have to do it and get out. Like he's, he's, he's there. He's dwelling in heaven. And, and where, what, like, what does it look like in heaven where he's dwelling? Well, according to this text, he's seated on a throne. Because his work is finished. It was once and for all. And so now he's seated on a throne, uh, literally crowned as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's royalty. So Jesus, our high priest, he's, he's not like just Aaron. He's not like, well, hey, we're going to elect so-and-so. He, he's royalty, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he's sitting on his throne because he's finished his work. And here's the promise he gives to people that endure. Ready? Revelation 3.21. And to the one who is victorious... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Here's what's so great about our high priest, our royal high priest. Our royal high priest is making us royalty as we speak. Our royal high priest is making us royalty as we speak. And that means that, friends, that one day there will be an it is finished moment for you and I and we will get to sit down. I thought about this in the early service. I tried to think about sitting down with my Savior. And you know what? I don't think I'm going to be the one saying, oh, it's finally done. I think I'm going to sit down with my Savior and I'm going to be done. And he's going to be the one that grabs me and whispers in my ear and puts an arm around me and says, my son, it's finished. You've done it. It's finally finished. This whole thing called life, all the mess, all the, all the struggle, all the hurt. It is finished. Well done. Well done. That's my prayer. That should be your prayer. We have a royal high priest that is making us into royalty. He's better. Number four, fourth reason he's better. Ready? Because he's our gracious high priest. Because he is our gracious high priest. I'm going to try not to lose it. But man, of, of, of the four, this is probably my favorite. And again, we're just, just verse 16. It says, um, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may have uh, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And, and so Jesus is, is, is seated and he's seated on his throne. And did you check out the name of his throne? Because his name, the throne has a title and it's pretty sweet, right? It says, verse 16, let us then approach. What's the name of his throne? The throne of grace. It says, let us approach the throne. The throne on which the king of kings sit is titled the throne of grace, which means something. It means literally that this is the source of grace. This is, all grace flows from this one place. All grace on, on the earth and under the earth and in the earth flows from this one place, its source, which is the throne of grace. It all flows from Jesus Christ, who's made all things and hold all things together. It all flows out of him. 
the abundance of all blessing. Jesus is is the source of this grace. And, And listen to what it says, because this is the title. This is where all grace comes from. It says, therefore, let us approach that grace with confidence. Because it's grace, right? Because it's not, if it was the throne of works, oh my gosh! Who could, who could enter that room, right? If it was the throne of righteousness, who could dare open that door? We would cower and we would beg, right? If it was the throne of, I read my Bible every day my whole life and memorized every word, then good golly, you saints of old, you're gonna make it, but I'm not. If it's the throne of, I know and memorize all my worship songs, then, you know, great for you, but I'm going to stink because I can't even sing them when they're on the screen, you know. But it's not any of those things. It's not, it's not the throne of you're doing really good on your own. It's not the throne of you're winning at life. It's the throne of grace. And all grace and mercy flows from this throne, which means that with confidence, when I'm a failure, I get to come. It means with me, with confidence, when I am struggling, I get to come. It means with confidence, when, when I'm not sure what tomorrow holds, I get to come. Because this is the source of grace and mercy. And it says, get this, everyone that comes here, hear me, this is the promise. Everyone that comes here will receive this grace and mercy In their time of need. That's the promise of God. That is the promise of God. I wonder. Anybody need some grace in their life? Just me. Nobody else needs any grace. You saints. Y'all come up here and preach. Right. Anybody need some, some grace and mercy right now? Man I need it. I need it. If you need it, I'm here to tell you that it's available because of the great high priest and his name is Jesus. And this is the title of his throne. All grace and mercy flow out of this place. And you will receive help in your time of need. I have a gracious high priest that just leaves this last thing. What do we do because of it? I just have one application today. I know I usually have three. I know it's usually three or four points and two or three application points. There's just one. Ready? Because here's, here's how big it is. This is, so, this is so massively true that if this is true, there's only one thing we can do. If Jesus is the great high priest and his throne is the source of mercy, then we just need to come as we are. If, if we can boldly approach with confidence this thing called the throne of grace, of whom sits our high priest whose name's Jesus, that has been through everything that we have ever faced to a much higher degree, yet is without sin. If this is the place that we get counsel, if this is the place that we get mercy, if this is the place that we get strength, then this is the place that we run and we do it boldly. And you don't have to change yourself to come here. You don't have to get holy to get here. You just come as you are because it's grace. Because it's grace, you just come as you are. Jesus has come to, to be with you. He's paid the price. He's the king of glory. He's sitting on his throne. He wants to be with you. And here's where I am. I'll just share with you. Uh, I did in the early service. I'm going to try to keep it together. This is what the Lord is teaching me. Okay? I'm always going to tell you when it, this is what he's teaching me. Maybe it applies to you. Here's the promise of the throne of grace. My son, this is what's been spoken to me. This is the promise of the throne of grace. This is the promise of my throne. You may not get healing. You may not get what you're asking for. 
but I promise you help. You may not get what you want, but you will get what you need here. I will be enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And and I don't know where you are, but if you're here and you're hurting, if you're here and life has fallen upon you, if you're here and you're struggling, if you're here and you're failing, I'm here to tell you there is grace available. You may be here and thinking, well, I need healing. And you know what? God may provide that healing. It may be six months from now. It may be six weeks from now. I don't know when the healing will come. But you know what? God may not provide the healing, but he will provide help. And that help is his grace. And I'm here to tell you it's enough. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for all that we need. For his power is made perfect in this kind of weakness. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg you, I'm going to encourage you this morning. Would you come to this throne with me? Would you, would you come to this throne I'm unashamed? Would, would you come to this throne with confidence and receive the grace and the mercy that get the help you need today? That's my prayer for you.